Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. everyone, welcome to episode 121. I had to scroll up to find out what episode we were on. <laughs> episode 121 of Slamfire Radio for August 28th, 2015. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew the Warning Shot McClatchy. I'm the other one, Trevor DeFerlatte. Trevor DeFerlatte. And uh, Owen's not on tonight, uh, but we have an interesting interview with somebody coming up a little bit later on, so we will talk more about that when that happens. Um, but why don't we kick this show off in a completely unique and different way? Something that's never been done before. What did you do with guns this week? <laughs> well, um, with the help of a couple of uh, local instructors and one instructor from the Miramichi Club, I helped put on a black badge class. So the third one this year that I've been a part of. Wow. And the, the biggest one, we had eight, eight students. Almost nine, but unfortunately, um, the gentleman who built my Garand was hoping to attend, but was busy retrofitting tanks. Oh, so, well, I mean, that, that is a valid excuse. If you're retrofitting tanks, tanks yeah. because tanks. Yeah. You're so welcome. That's, that gets them a pass. <laughs> so, but, uh, and at the map, um, <laughs> filthy this. <laughs> okay. So somebody said, Oh, I'm sorry. And then somebody said, Oh, I'm sorry. And filthy said, My, what a, what a Canadian moment. So at the same time, I'm on the stage and my gun is malfunctioning and I'm having a failure to extract. And Muffin says, Oh, huh. and this is a 1911 moment. <laughs> yeah. It cost me, it cost me the match. Um, every malfunction took about 10 seconds to clear. So on the first stage, I had a failure to feed, so, or a failure to extract. So I had to lock the mag back, lock the slide back, drop the mag, cycle the action, reinsert the mag, cycle the action, chamber around and get back into the mat or back into the stage. This happened three times, every time costing me 10 seconds, sometimes on a 10 second stage. So it was painful, and as a result, I finished in third place. Um, the guy who won the match had an extra extractor on him. He gave that to me, so I took the Aftec out of my gun, which I've said before, my gun should not run. The Aftec did not have enough extractor tension to speak about, okay? Um, and it got to the point finally where it wasn't grasping the rim and pulling it out of the chamber. Right. So um, I put it in the factory, just a regular spring steel 1911-style extractor, tuned it, got the right extractor tension on it. Tuning it means bending it. You just put it into the hole that it fits into, and then you bend it, and that changes the angle of the hook, which pushes the brass against the side of the um, side of the slide and holds it there until it hits the ejector, and then it pops out the ejection port. And then I called uh, Freedom Ventures and got uh, two... Extra, two factory extractors, one to replace the one I borrowed, because you don't borrow a part, put it in your gun, and then give back the worn part. You, you borrow a new part, you give back a new part. So I got two factory extractors and a new Aftec, put, and got those all tuned up and installed tonight. So that's ready to roll. I'll take it out to the, I already, I already 
tested the, the the one that was given to me after the match by the winner, Jamie Knowles. So I know it works. Took it out, put it in another factory, tuned it tonight, and then put the Aftec in. And the difference between an Aftec extractor and a factory extractor is the Aftec is not spring steel. You don't bend it. It's powered with a, a cup and two springs. That's where your tension comes from. And if you start to lose extractor tension, you just replace the springs. No more trying to put the proper amount of bend on it. So, um, Oh, and there's a listener in the area from British Columbia who has trained with Rod Giltaka. He listens to the show or has listened to the show, and he emailed me. I get a kick out of this. We put our rates up from 75 bucks to 100 bucks for the Rush Coach Gun Club for one year, 100 bucks. Some people were quite put out about this and thought that it was a huge increase. And 25 bucks in one shot generally is a huge increase. But when you're paying $100 to get access to something all year, well, let's say you don't go in the wintertime, so you have access from April until December for $100. That's still laughable. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, so this guy wanted to know about guest policy at our range. And then when he found out that it was $100 for the year, he's like, I'm here for three weeks. I'll gladly pay $100 to shoot on this range for three weeks. Yeah, so put it to perspective. Yeah, but, well, yeah we, we are definitely spoiled out here in the Maritimes when it comes to range uh, memberships. We are. We are definitely way more expensive uh, in Ontario and out west. I mean, when I was in Ontario, I did not get my restricted uh, PAL because I had zero zero intention of getting a restricted firearm because I would have had to join a range, and the cheapest range was like $600 for the year. I just didn't have $600. There was no way I could afford a range membership. I literally couldn't afford it. So right now, I wasn't going to be a shooter or if a I had restricted to, shooter. Yeah, if I had to spend $600 to be a shooter, I would. Uh, I, could, I don't think I would do it. No, I don't think I would either. I, I just don't think I could afford it. Mm. I'd have to buy a whole lot less twenty two ammo, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so they, uh, moving along, the Geisley Trigger, the Super Semi Auto that I have in my NEA, is malfunctioning and I'm getting doubles on occasion. Unfortunately, I don't know when they're coming, so I had to remove it from the gun and I installed a Daniel Defense trigger kit in there and I called um, the distributor for Geisley Arms E, so Newfoundland, and this is their customer service. They had a guy who was in Europe right now call me from Europe to, to talk to me about my trigger situation and then he called Geisley and it's like Geisley is now waiting for me to call them and at every like every thirty seconds, let me reassure you, we will make this right. We will make this right. We will make nice. this right. And um, I told him, I said, I don't know how many rounds are on this thing. Maybe two thousand. You know, maybe Jeff put a thousand on it before I got it from Jeff. And he's like, the round count doesn't really matter. We don't have a specified round count where we can say at four thousand rounds the disconnector wears out. At ten thousand rounds, he said, because we've never had a super semi-auto trigger wear out yet. <laughs> so, so yeah, there you go. Yeah. So anyway, I'm supposed to reinstall the trigger in a lower and call um, call Geisley, and they're gonna they're gonna take care of it. So that's pretty awesome customer service. He just kept reassuring cool. me, we will take care of it. Nice. And I started something new. Um, I picked up you know the reloading equipment that we talked about last week that I picked up. Uh huh. I went out to see Muffin, and we started casting bullets. He's been casting bullets for a while now and making lead lingots out of uh, wheel weights and. Um, uh, I've got a six cavity, 125 grain, nine mil mold, and I've got a two cavity, 175 grain, 40 caliber mold. And the reason why I've started to cast bullets is because two of the guys here locally are powder coating their bullets. Now, casting the bullets is the easy part. When you start reloading with lead bullets, where it really gets time consuming and a pain in the butt is lubricating those lead bullets. And you, the reason why you lubricate the bullet is because when you fire it, 
if it's a raw just lead bullet too much lead will strip off into the rifling and you'll get a leaded up barrel really quickly the lubrication helps reduce the amount of leading in your barrel and uh, prolongs time between cleanings but applying the lube and then resizing the bullet is a pain in the butt and then if you've ever reloaded pistol ammunition with lubed lead bullets you'll know that it will gunk up your dies your dies will need to be cleaned it'll gum up your chamber uh, your chamber checker your case gauge it's a pain in the butt yep but the amount of savings when you cast your own bullets is very attractive and you don't lose a whole lot of accuracy particularly if your lead is consistent and your uh, and if your lead is consistent and your mole and your you're you're casting them correctly and you're getting consistent weights you're not going to lose a whole lot of of accuracy when you powder coat them that's it there's no lube you're done well that's not true you do need to resize them but you're not dealing with bare exposed lead and you're not dealing with that sticky gummy waxy yeah so it shoots very clean doesn't foul up your barrel and uh yeah it doesn't gum up your dies either sounds like win 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 yeah so I thought that lead was plentiful. <laughs> Once upon a time, I was offered all the wheel weights I could carry, and I turned them down. Huh. Now I've got guys scrounging to get wheel weights for me so that Muffin and I can uh, can make lingots. Um, and I'm going to get my own my own pot to melt the lead in. Right now, I'm using I'm using muffins, but I want to get as many cast bullets made as I can before the temperature gets too cold. Because you absolutely have to do this outdoors. Right. And then I can powder coat throughout the winter. Powder coating, you get powder coat, powder coat paint, and you can either spray it on with a powder coat gun, or they actually take like a, a rubber make container, fill it with airsoft pellets, throw a couple of teaspoons of the powder coat paint in there, shake it up, and then the electric, uh, the static electricity causes the powder coat paint, and it's powder form, right, to stick to the lead bullets. You remove the lead bullets one at a time, bake them in the oven, and it cures onto the bullet. Bada boom, bada bing. You have a powder coated bullet, and then you can just resize them in your in your sizing die, and then go ahead and load them up. Nice. That's cool. Mm. So I'll be uh, getting some powder coated tomorrow, and uh, hopefully doing some testing next week. Very nice. So, um, you ready to jump into the news? Sure. All right. You want to grab the first one? Do I ever? The uh, only one you mean? Um, sure, whatever. Okay, so Alberta RCMP officer pleads guilty to firearms charges, gets conditional sentence. This is from the Canadian Press. Uh, Sherwick, uh, Sherwick Park, Alberta. An Alberta RCMP officer has been handed a conditional sentence after pleading guilty to firearms charges. Constable, Can I just stop you there for a yeah. second? Um, I took this from the most anti-gun website that I could, um, and there was actually an extra sentence here that appears to be gone. It, it's in. It's. It was a repeat of one of the sentences that's already in the article. Okay. That was, it was yeah, the. Okay. Yeah. It was a tagline, which was just. The yeah, next, the tagline. You took which the is what I'm out? about to read because oh, okay. the tagline Sorry. was the the first paragraph of. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. So, I'll just continue then. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if if it's my turn still. Carry on. <laughs> I just teased. Constable Stephen Hudson was charged in May with the unlawful possession of a Bushmaster assault rifle, which is a restricted weapon. And the careless storlet. <laughs> Wait, so that means we can get assault rifles. All of a sudden, assault rifles have gone from prohibited to restricted. That's right. Because he said, yep. Uh, and also the careless storage of the assault rifle, as well as other offenses. Hudson appeared in a Sherwick Park 
court Wednesday and pleaded guilty to five of ten charges, including unsafe storage of a firearm, possession of an unlicensed weapon, and possession of an unlawful device. He received a conditional sentence, including nine months house arrest and nine months of living under a curfew. Hudson, who is 49, says that he has tendered his resignation from the RCMP after nine years of service. During the hearing, Hudson told the court that the day he was accepted to be a police officer was the best day of his life. Because of what I've done, he said, I've ruined all of that. So, yeah, so he illegally had an AR-15, which apparently is an assault rifle. Unless it's in his patrol uh, cruiser, and, and then which it becomes a patrol carbine. A patrol carbine when it's in the car, but if it's in his house, it's an assault rifle. So yep. even the police, it just because you have the magical badge doesn't mean it becomes a patrol carbine. It actually has to be in your car, apparently. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why I, I wanted to include this this story because this story is just filled with bias, and a lot of the re. re um, response to this story from the gun community has just been pure outrage and they think he got off with a slap on the wrist and they think he got off kidding me that's not a slap on well i suppose it's not but considering he could have potentially gotten three years in jail right right? well the thing is would would you or i have gotten three years in jail realistically so no yeah no, because, because we didn't cause any harm to anybody right, else. Because we're not we, gangbangers, and we're not, right. you know, we're not convicted uh, drug dealers. And we don't have a history of violence, so common sense would come to play, and we probably would not get three years in jail. And that's this guy is a, you know, okay, he screwed up. He had some, he had some firearms that he should not have had, and he needs to pay the price for that. But does somebody who day in and day out wore the badge and went to work protecting us? Does that mean you now? I see it both ways because he is a police officer. He should know better and he should be held to a higher standard. Yep. But at the but same the time, side, yeah, yeah, he's he is somebody who probably knows how to safely handle a firearm. And, probably. And was, now, and the, the, was not going to use it further for crime. Right. If right. he wanted to use a gun for a crime, he would have probably used the one that they issued him. But the thing is, he's not mentally unstable because they hired him. <laughs> You know, like they, they do vet police officers before they hire them. They Do they ever? So, I mean, yeah, I get it. He's got to follow the law. He should know better. At the same time, he was not a danger to the public. Mm. Like so. some people spend three hours in that, uh, in the lie detector chair. Like, you you know, you, you send in your application to your RCMP. Somebody calls you back to do a, a telephone interview. If any of your answers don't jive between that interview and the lie detector you're in the chair a long time and some people have sat in that chair for three hours yeah you know um francois's wife went through the process and then decides she wants to stay in her current profession and yeah you they they strap you up to a lie detector when you're going through the rcmp and when you lie they zap you right with the taser yeah with the taser and then when you're shaking they pepper spray you i want to be that guy Get to taste people and pepper spray them. <laughs> I don't think most of what we said is true. Probably not a single word of it. I would not take any of this to heart. <laughs> so, all right then. Speaking of heart and, and heart shots, because that's an ethical shot placement. Wow, uh, that was quite the segue. Yeah. Well, Speaking of hearts and heart shots. <laughs> You're welcome. Cupid um, much? I keep telling you, when you explain the segue, it makes it less cooler. No, it it makes it cooler for me. <laughs> really only explaining it to yourself because all of our listeners get it. They didn't get it. Okay. So when you shoot an animal in the heart, it's pretty right. lethal, and that's considered ethical shot placement. Right. We should talk more about hunting get. ethics sometime. We should oh, I know. Right Maybe now. in like 30 seconds. Let's do nah, it. Yeah, let's do it right now. 
All right, well, joining us now for our main topic, we have the hunting gear guy, Adriel Michaud. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You were on uh, just a couple weeks ago with Owen, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I wanted to talk about ARs, and I, I just had to get my, my five minutes of fame in there. Right, so well, are here's we five more. About, are we going to talk about hunting with ARs? Because I'm in. Oh, I wish. That would be awesome. <laughs> That's a topic for another day, for sure. Yeah. Imagine if ARs became non-restricted, we'd be set. Topic for another day. No, no, let's talk about this for real quick. Sure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> off the rails, right off the bat. 40 guys, seconds in and we're gone. Guys, they triggered 300 blackout for de- hunting deer. What? Oh, man, there's just so much. Another day. <laughs> 7.62 by 40. Ooh, that'd be a cool one, too. Mm. All right, well, we're, we are here to talk about hunting, oddly enough, with a hunting gear guy. Um, that, I guess, does make a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, we, uh, we thought, well, by we, I mean he, this is, this is Adriel's idea. So good, good on you, Adriel, for coming up with this. We thought we would talk a little bit about hunting ethics. Um, as everybody knows, I'm sure by now, there was a lion shot and killed in Africa. Just the one though. I think that's the only one ever, right guys? Definitely. Yeah, just the one. But apparently this one had a name. (laughs) Yeah. That yeah, nobody else had, knew about. <laughs> if it had been any other lion, nobody would care. That's right. But he went to the dentist and didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we're talking about Cecil the lion. Uh, you guys all know the big uproar. Some dentist went over and shot him. And, and um, you know... Th- it has been convicted in the court of public opinion. There's yep. Not, that, uh, I don't think... Apparently his guides were... Uh, charged because they weren't supposed to lure a lion off a game reserve. And, of course, whether or not the dentist knew they did that, that's up for debate. Some people are saying he did. Some people are saying he didn't. Unfortunately, he never came forward in the public to defend himself. And I don't think he should, to be perfectly honest with you. uh, Well, if I do nothing wrong, you're going to hear about it. Well, yeah, but at the same time, if you do nothing wrong, you shouldn't have to defend yourself. No, but I'm not going to defend this guy if he doesn't want to defend himself. So I don't know where right. to stand on that. So, on yeah, him, basically but... we're saying is we don't know what yeah. he did or what he knew. But what I can tell you is I have nothing against hunting lions. Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether yeah, okay. they're famous lions or not. So, he, so yeah. Even the Lion great. King. I mean, little, what's his name there? Simba? <laughs> Simba, yeah. Mustafa. 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 Watch Ooh, it. say his name again. It makes me shiver. Mustafa. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a rug anyways. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, all right. So, we're going to use that story to talk about what hunting means to us and what we consider ethical. Right. Because we had, I mean, everybody came out of the woodwork when this happened. There were guys telling, um, you know, saying that this guy was being unethical. There were other people saying, no, of course he wasn't. And, and we just thought this was a perfect opportunity for all of us to discuss that. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I think one of the, th- one of the really cool things that came out of this was, um, you know, it, uh, maybe a long time ago, more, most people hunted for, uh, for one or two, one or, or two reasons, right? They're, they're hunting for meat or they're, um, hunting for the experience maybe. And, uh, when this happened, uh, there was a lot of really good discussion on, uh, Reddit and Canadian gun nuts and, and gun owners of Canada about kind of what it means to hunt. And uh, the funny thing I found is that a lot of hunters have got some really personal reasons why they hunt, and they think that that's the 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 one true or, or pure version of hunting. And uh, and there's just there's just a lot of other really valid reasons for hunting these days, and and you know a lot of people aren't aware of them, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of people think 
Well, I'm, you know, I know people, some people who are of the opinion that you only hunt if you're hungry Mm. or, or, I mean, and I know other people who say you just never hunt. Hunting is unethical, period. You should never kill a defenseless animal. Adriel, one of the things that I feel that came out of this that was positive was an awareness of how the industry in Africa actually works. All these vegetarians that are uh, up in arms about the fact that a famous lion was shot have no idea what the industry in Africa is all about and how much money is actually dumped into the local economy. And so the uh, hunting crowd uh, and probably... uh, some of the larger hunting uh, guides and tour operators, safari, uh, op, uh, yeah, when you go on safari, the safari operators started to get involved in this fight. And we started for the first time really in in um, everyday media, mainstream media, hearing about the economic impact that these quote-unquote trophy hunters are having on the economy in Africa. And those numbers are really hard to argue with. And for years, they were kept they were kept under wraps they weren't publicized mm-hmm. we had no idea the economic impact that trophy hunting and big game hunting was having on those countries and if the tree huggers got their way and shut down the hunting industry over there that would send some of those african countries back you know 50 60 years the money that gets dumped in that they get that they use for building schools and 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 healthcare just where else is it going to come from? It's it's their resource to use whatever way they see fit. And the tree huggers in North America can shut their yaps. It's none of their business what the uh, government of Zaire or any of these other countries that allow lion hunting or giraffe hunting. It's none of their business how they manage their resource. The Africans don't tell us what to mine for and what to cut down. So for me, that was the biggest thing that I thought came out of this story was a whole awareness of the actual positive impact these hunting these hunts have yeah i mean it's it's important that it's it's managed right it's uh it's a resource that they manage and by um by culling the odd lion like if if a lion's past its prime and it's going to die anyways and you can make 60 grand from it why not right why not that money can then, you know, that's that's really like sorely needed money that can go back into breeding more lions, making more habitat for them, um, managing the resource more to to result in way more of of that animal. I mean, some of some of the animals in North America, probably the only reason they're around is because we need to hunt them and and they're they're fun to hunt, right? Yeah, but over there, yeah, over there, it's it's, it's a it's a natural resource and a huge part of their economy. And yes, it has to be managed properly, but again, how they manage it is their business, not ours. But take the giraffe that was shot a couple of uh, uh, months back, and Ricky Gervais went absolutely crazy all over the internet about this, you know. But what he doesn't say is the money and permits that woman spent, the economic impact it had on the local village. It was an old bull giraffe that was going to die within a year anyway, most likely. There are no old animals in the wild, right? They're going to die anyway. They're going to become food. Well, we can take them out of the out of the uh, ecosystem and create a, a positive impact. Where if they just die and hyenas eat them, the uh, the locals don't benefit from that. The meat gets consumed. Money is just. I mean, you're talking tens of thousands, fifty, sixty, hundred thousand dollars, depending on the animal you want to hunt. 
Yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, that's 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 the results of uh, of, of sport and trophy hunter out, uh, hunting out there, and that's uh, that's interesting. But you know, like we're we're talking about this, and, and I think we're on the same page for the economics of this. But the, the interesting thing to me was all the hunt the the hunters from from North America who were happy to throw this guy under the bus because they felt that what he does what was he was doing wasn't pure hunting. It wasn't ethical hunting because he was hunting something that he wasn't going to eat, that he wasn't going to consume. And, uh, and I thought that was really interesting as well because it just points to all these different um, uh, motivations to um, why people hunt. Um, like for, for myself, um, I, I definitely hunt because of tradition, right? My, my dad showed me how to hunt from a, from a young age and uh, I've been hunting all my life. Um, and it's something that now I'm starting to pass down to my son. So for me, like the tradition is, is a, is a really strong part of it. Um, the experience is, uh, I don't know if I can use the word magical, but I'll, I'll say magical because, um, that's, you get that's to a see, man card infraction. I, actually. <laughs> I, I didn't want to interrupt them, but I, was, no, I don't mind interrupting people as we all know. Okay. So, uh, um, so that's one. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll take that one. Um, but you get you get to see every sunset and sunrise. You're you're out in these in the, in the you've got these beautiful landscapes that you can that you can see. And, and I I work in the city. I'm 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 in Edmonton here, and and I'm I'm working downtown every day, every other uh, month of the year except November. I've got a a week and a bunch of weekends that I'm out in the wild, and and that's something that I don't get to do a lot of. So. For me, the the tradition and the experience of hunting is uh, is are the reasons why I hunt. And I mean, the meat is a is a happy you know a happy secondary. But I've got one buddy; he goes hunting with with me, and he gives me all his meat. He's his wife doesn't like eating wild meat; it's not his thing. So I end up with all all of his, and he just goes for the experience and the tradition as well. Hmm. That would go against how some people think that uh, of hunting, right? Some people who yeah, think it's, some people oh, would, oh, yeah, yeah. What about you, Matthew? Um, what's the question again? Oh, what's this <laughs> it's the main topic question. What does hunting oh, mean to you? Well, I didn't know if you wanted to ask me if if uh, if I thought that what he was doing was okay, or or if you wanted the general answer from me. So anyway, um, you can do both if it makes you feel better. Okay, well, I have no issue with people hunting for traditional reasons. I have no peop- no problem with people hunting who aren't going to consume the meat. As long as the meat gets consumed and not wasted, I don't I don't like to waste anything that. Well, I don't like to waste anything. Period. Whether well, it's time, whether it's meat, huh? Well, let's touch on that for a second. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. I was just about to say, except, except for varmints. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, was bring that up. I thought we would I'll go because some people take exception to that, right? Like, yep. I'll go on Facebook, and uh, I have friends who are meat eaters, support hunting. Some are meat eaters, don't support hunting. But uh, I'll get some feedback when I'll post a picture of me with a crow or a picture of me with a groundhog. Right. And inevitably, there's uh, somebody in my quote-unquote friends list that will say, you're going to eat that? No. Then why'd you shoot it? Because I'm allowed. I because... paid a license that allows me to do it, so I'm out in the woods. Well, that's, that's the perfect answer right there is I'm allowed to. Yeah, you know. So I didn't break any laws. I'm allowed to. Now, yeah. that being said, a lot of people won't paid take the that. privilege. They they, then, they, you know, they might say, yeah, well, you're allowed to, I don't know, come up with some stupid other thing, too, and say, well, it still isn't right. Um, but, I mean, for me, anyway, if, if it's on the varmint list, the pest list, well, it's, it's there for a reason. There's too many of them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they need to be, the numbers need to be brought down. So, any crow, groundhog, or coyote I shoot, 
whether I eat it or not is of nobody's business. First of all, it was legal. And second of all, there's too many of them. They need to be called. So I'm going to help out, do my best. And am I going to enjoy the process? You're darn right I am. And is there anything wrong with that? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I don't. I've had people um, say like, well, I, I showed someone, you know, hey, I, I shot this coyote over the, over the weekend. They're like, why'd you do that? And I'd, I'd have to explain, well, actually, in the, in the county where I go um, coyote hunting, there, there's a bounty on them. Never mind the, the fact that they're on the list. There's a bounty on them. They pay me, uh, you know, $30 for every coyote I shoot. That's how many of them there are. They're, they actually have to incentivize the management of them. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of bounties, I've heard um, that bounties have been tried in some of the Atlantic Canadian provinces uh, and were it was unsuccessful. I've heard that the the pack actually the population will actually respond by the female going into a second heat to deliver a second set of pups per season. It's they they feel the pressure on their numbers and they respond by breeding more. Have you read any any research on this? Is this uh, folklore, a myth? I'm not you sure. You know, um, I just shoot them all, so uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if they if they breed afterwards or not. <laughs> well, the ones that you shoot, I'm sure, aren't breeding. But... Okay, well, I'm just trying to get a handle no, on whether or not that's an an old wise tale that's spread by anti hunters, maybe to try and discourage a bounty around here. I don't know. I can tell you that I have heard uh, coyote hunting talk on CBC before, and we all love our favorite corporation for public broadcasting up here in Canada. Um, we don't, actually. Um, for the listeners who don't know, we don't really like them. They're very liberal. Um, anyway, they, they very negatively spun pest hunting, varmint hunting, and, and basically said what you said, Trevor, is that it's not productive. It doesn't work. Well, if it doesn't work, how come we've been doing it for the past 500 years? Yeah. You know, why Why do we even have hunting licenses then for moose if it doesn't matter? If it doesn't matter how many we shoot, then what's the big deal? Why don't we just shoot them all? Obviously, it works. If you kill a bunch of a population, there's going to be less of them by definition because you just killed a bunch of them. But, you know, like you said, Trevor, I don't know, maybe there is some scientific, you know, basis to that, maybe for coyotes specifically, that they'll, you know, increase their number somehow. That's fine with me. I, I get to hunt more. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so speaking of which, then Matthew, what what uh, what's this hunting mean to you? Um, for me, uh, hunting is uh, a relaxation for me. It's something that I do when, uh, well, especially fall. I love being outside in the fall. I enjoy the outdoors. And uh, as many of you know from my many hunting stories, I'm not necessarily a very successful hunter, but I really enjoy the process. I really enjoy being out in the woods. I really enjoy just uh just kind of being out there and enjoying it so i don't really have a tradition of hunting in my family my, my family is mostly anti-gun or used to be anti-gun um didn't they, they never hunted i didn't grow up hunting um just you know for me it was just a, a chance to walk out in the woods with my gun and every now and then bag a rabbit or a, or a grouse and and you know kind of go from there so for me it's, it's really nothing more than just a, a hike with a gun hmm. so what about you trevor um I grew up uh, in a uh, hunting family. My father and all of his brothers and my grandfather were, were all hunters, and they grew up hunting because they had to. Um, my father grew up on a farm, and hunting was a part of putting food on the table. And so 
but he obviously enjoyed the recreation aspect of it and the sport aspect of it and um, the uh, camaraderie at, at the hunting camp and with, with your buddies. And, and so he passed that on to me from a very early age. I was shooting guns and, and hunting with him from the age of five on. And um, I don't, he didn't necessarily teach me how to hunt, but he certainly took me hunting. And um, so I hunt for because I believe it's part of Canadian culture and heritage. We uh, were a country that was founded on uh, fur trade and, and, and living in the bush and living off of the land. And so I want to keep um, that Canadian her- hunting heritage alive by taking part in it and promoting it and making sure that people know that it is part of Canada and it is part of, of Canadian culture and uh, I do my part to make sure that people hear about it. Um you know, you, uh, we're all about desensitizing people to things. And I believe there's a proper way to desensitize non-hunters to, to hunting. And there's also a way to keep them either neutral or push them to our side, right? Um, one of the, I, I, I heard, I learned some interesting statistics during my bow hunter education class about the percentages, you know, 80% of the population doesn't hunt. And twenty percent, eighty percent doesn't hunt and and don't care. And there's a percentage of that that uh, are anti-hunter. Sorry, I'm messing up the percentages here. There's Just make percent- them up. Everybody else does. It's sure, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't well, worry about it. Statistics can be used to to prove anything. Seventy-five percent of the population knows that. <laughs> so anyway, there's that small percentage, ten percent of the population that uh, could be swayed. And most of the time, they're swayed by our behavior and the example that they that we set and how we conduct ourselves. So, if you're walking out of a liquor store with uh, Hunter Orange on and a case of beer, you're perpetuating that stereotype that the public sees, and they you end up perhaps sw- turning some of them to the anti-hunting side, right? Yep. So, uh, also, you know, the it's, okay, you've shot something, you shot a nice deer or a moose, and you're proud of it, but parading it through town. And rubbing it in the noses of people who don't hunt, you gotta, you gotta kind of, you know, use good common sense and judgment. Where are you gonna drive that thing around? Are you gonna go in front of the elementary school or the hospital, or are you gonna drive by a pool hall? I mean, you know, you gotta just use some common sense to not, to not sway people. Um, yeah, I agree the- with that 100. Uh, percent Like you said, there, there's, it's, it's like, it's like guns. It's, you know, anti-hunters are just like anti-gunners and there are a certain percentage of the population. You're never going to change their mind, but you don't go out of your way to annoy those people. What you do is you try to be as polite and respectful as you can to persuade the people who are sitting on the fence to either stay on the fence or come over to your side. Exactly. Exactly. Um, My approach to hunting, like you, Matthew, if I'm hunting small game, but I often take hunting too too seriously because I want to I want to set myself up for success and I don't do anything willy nilly. Um, when I'm hunting bears, the prep that I put into to hunting bears with archery equipment, you know, I go way out of my way to try and increase my chances of success as much as possible. Same as when I'm hunting deer, and um, you know, I remember one one morning being walked into a stand. Uh, and I, and unfortunately there's no deer in my area. So I, 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 uh, rely on the charity of friends to take me to their hunting spots, to their stands and whatnot. And I remember one morning 
I walk into the stand before the sun comes up, and I walk in like a ninja. Uh, a mouse is making more noise than I am. I'm super stealthy, super quiet. I'm sprayed down. I've got, you know, uh, under armor, scent-proof underwear on, and dead downwind sprays and the whole nine yards and deer lure on my boots. And So I'm being walked into the stand one morning, and the person walking me in, A, won't be quiet, and then B, we get to the stand, and I want them to, okay, I'm here, good, get, go, get, leave. No, we're not talking. We're not hanging. You're lighting a cigarette? Really? <laughs> After all of the, you know, like, oh, and it just really, really irritated me and irritated me too much. Like, I take it way too seriously. And uh, that's the last time I went hunting with, with, with those folks. So I just, I have such a limited amount of time to go big game hunting, especially deer that I take it too serious, right? I don't actually enjoy it when I'm there because I can't I can't relax. It's like I have a little bit of time to try and get a, a deer tagged and I don't want to talk to you. Go away. <laughs> you know, I got a job to do. It's a job. I'm there to work. I'm taking it very seriously. And uh, I went hunting another time, just small game hunting. And the person with me wore a jacket that, you know, made noise just while they were breathing. <laughs> this, yeah, uh, just got to, yeah, so... Anyway, I take it, I take <laughs> yes. it quite seriously. You take something seriously? Really? Too uh, seriously? No, that doesn't sound like you at all. Going all out? No. I know. I yeah, know. no, I'm I'm definitely the opposite of that. I yeah. I don't, I'm not out hunting to be successful. I'm out hunting to enjoy the process. And if I'm successful, bonus. And if I'm not, yeah. I enjoy the process. Well, and so, I want the meat. Yeah. I cherish the meat. My wife eats wild meat. And right. so um, being successful for me also means putting food in the freezer for the winter. Now, right. black bears, I've never been picky. First come, first serve. I don't, you know, it's springtime and I got to get on to the next thing. I get my I get my stand set up and I hunt over a bait and it's hunting over bait, something we could talk about too. Yeah, that and, could be a next uh, good topic. I don't I don't wait around too long. The first bear that comes out usually gets plugged and then we get on to the yeah. next thing. Well, or they're actually, always good to eat. They're all good to eat, so. Well, especially a, a young spring bear. Yeah. Uh, instead of a big old fat fall bear, but um, I usually then free up the stand and put somebody else in it. So yeah, yeah, that's so, yeah. Thing to do. Yeah, I mean for deer, I'm not uh, like I, I take off a full week in November to go uh, to go hunting deer, but um, it's it's happened before where that first day it's like oh there it is okay I guess I'm I'm done for the week, <laughs> and then I'm just helping my buddies out for the for the rest of the week, right? Yep, nothing wrong with that either. All kinds of fun. So yeah, what about uh, hunting over a bait? I mean, we can we can kind of go back to the original story where Cecil was lured out of a, a big game reserve area, supposedly, allegedly, whatever. But uh, yeah, that brings up the the whole baiting thing. What's what what are your guys' take on hunting over a bait? I think if it's legal in your region, then I'm definitely going to do it. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think it's unethical. Um, hunting, where does it say? That hunting has to be difficult. And I've talked about this on the show before. I think that, um, you know, short of going to the grocery store and buying meat, you should make hunting as easy as possible to increase your chances of success within the law. Yep. And if the law says you can hunt over bait, then hunt over bait. What do you Why, think, Adriel? You know? Oh, yeah, I mean, agree. Like, if, if it says that you can hunt over bait, it's because... Uh, maybe there's too many bear in that in that region, anyways, right? So, if they're 
if if it's against the law, it's because they're they're using that as part of their management uh, tactics to make it a bit harder for you, so that not as many people are successful, so they don't lose the numbers that they're looking to keep. Exactly. I mean, in in the region I I'm in, you you can't bait deer, but I know I know like in the states, a lot of guys will grow crops, like a whole crop just for deer to bulk up on their land and food then sh- and then shoot them in the fall, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, and that's food plots. Food plot hunting is huge. Well, food yeah. plotting that's the same as baiting in my opinion. I mean, a lot of people are like, like oh, you bait, that's terrible. Then they go and they grow a, f- a, a food plot. Well, isn't that the exact same thing, except you did more work than me? A bit more it's, work, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> My favorite uh, kind of anecdote about uh, baiting is the, the signs I've seen yeah. on Facebook where it says, this is squirrel feed. Any deer eating this food will be shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, when it, when it comes to, like, making hunting hard or not, and it... it, it People will bring up the same thing when you when you talk about long range hunting because there's a certain subset of the hunting um, hunters out there that hunt long range. They'll they'll hunt uh, four, five, six hundred yards or more, kind of a thing, right? And you run across the same number of hunters there that say um, that have a problem with the ethics of it and have a problem with um, whether it's sporting or not because you know guys are sitting down with 12 pound rigs that they know the dope on it and shooting something at 500 yards is is absolutely trivial um with some of these guys and some of their setups so you know that's that's another interesting one that i've found that um comes down to ethics as well as so they're they're saying that it's unethical to hunt at that distance or that it's unethical to hunt with the gear that they're using i think some i think some people that like Aren't aren't very comfortable with themselves making a long range shot, so, so they, they think, think I can't do it. Right? Yeah, exactly. They think, yeah. oh, five hundred yards—that's impossible. You're you're going to wing that deer. When in when in reality, um, you know, a guy shooting F class is on a on a cold, calm day is going to have no problem pu- plugging a deer at five hundred yards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like um, when I uh, shot a lot of archery and did a lot of bow hunting. Um, I know a former world champion from the States who plugged a deer with his bow at 90 meters. Holy. <laughs> That's nuts. But I he can do that. But he can put six arrows inside a three-inch circle at 90 meters all day long. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for you him, know? that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly ethical. Uh, for but him. for you, Trevor... Well, actually, for you, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean, right? Like somebody yep. who doesn't have the same skill set as he does, you have to know your own limitations. It's not ethical if you do just that, Matthew. If you exceed your limitations, if you take a pot shot. Yep. I know a guy in this region who went bow hunting with a traditional bow, and his excuse for hitting a bear in the head was he didn't bring his rangefinder. It's a traditional bow. What difference does it make? Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, you're not using, you're not adjusting any sights for elevation. Yeah. You know, if you, yeah, maybe he would have ranged the bear and thought that the bear was at 50 yards and went, oh, okay, that's too, that's too far for me because I'm shooting a traditional bow. Hmm. But yeah, he let the arrow fly and smoked the bear in the head with an arrow. Well, you got to do 3D and, and get your distances like honed in a little bit more because, yeah. And that's shoot- really, you know, a lot of people uh, go to 3D tournaments and they'll and they'll see a, a kind of a challenging shot and they'll say, "Well, you'd never take a shot like that during hunting." And yeah, we're not. Well, hunting. no, we're it's, not hunting. This is this is tournament. This is your chance to practice a shot like that, so that if you get good at it, maybe while you were hunting, you could take it. 
Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, so I mean, 3D archery definitely will help you if you're in the woods because things look different uphill, downhill, trees, lighting, shadows. In a gymnasium, shooting at 3D animals, that that's a joke. Yeah. But out in the woods where you're shooting over a brook or up a hill or down a hill and the light on the course changes throughout the day, that's great. for And it's an unmarked course. Yeah. So, so, so you, we're you a shot on an animal and it's not in the scoring zone. Then you say to yourself, ooh, that could have been been bad yeah so so we're in agreement then that hunting over a bait so long as it's legal in your area perfectly fine completely ethical yeah we think it's ethical okay now here here's here's the other side of that coin a lot of people will say no hunting over a bait is unethical because you're luring in an animal based on one of its primal senses one of its primal um yeah. So, and then I in, invariably ask them whenever whenever this topic comes up, and I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, "Oh, so how do you hunt them? Oh, well, I use lures, uh, scents, or I rattle horns, uh, or I call them. Oh, so instead of using hunger, you're using sex to draw them in. Isn't that <laughs> one of their primal bases? Oh, yeah. well, I didn't think about that. Yeah. So whether you're if you're luring an animal. You're luring an animal. You're luring an animal. Whether it's a call, whether it's noise, whether it's scent, whether it's food, luring is luring, and that's perfectly fine if it's legal in your area. So uh, I think it's 100% ethical. Like Trevor said, why make it any harder than it needs to be? Yeah, exactly. So what would uh, what would something be for you, gentlemen, that you would consider unethical hunting? Ooh. Hmm. Maybe hunting, maybe hunting from a truck? Shooting something from a truck? Well, what if it's legal where you live at? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, okay, so this this is, I guess this is my line then where where the difference between legal and ethics is, is even if it's legal, I still wouldn't consider it really ethical to shoot like a big game from a, from a truck now. Well, what if you're standing on the truck because mm. you have to see over a fence or something? Because wouldn't that be the same as being in a tree stand? You know, it could, it, it could be legal. It just doesn't. It this doesn't feel like. I well, I can any solve kind this. of nature or anything like that, though. No, nowhere in Canada are you allowed to have a loaded firearm inside a vehicle. That's a federal law. So nowhere will it be legal to shoot from a truck. Except that you can get special permits in New Brunswick to hunt from a motorized vehicle if you're disabled. Then. Yeah. <laughs> then it's no, yeah. Well, let's see. That person needs an advantage. So right. if you're able-bodied, then. Okay, so we're caveating that with the able-bodied part. Okay, that's cool. I'm hey, look, I'm just playing devil's advocate sure. here, guys. <laughs> uh, um, the, would I do it if it was legal? Would I shoot from a truck? Yeah, I would. If it was me, I would. I have no problem with that. If it was legal for me to drive, see now here in New Brunswick, here's another thing: is it ethical to hunt from the road? It's well, it's legal. It's legal in New Brunswick. A lot of people don't. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. But in New Brunswick, it's completely legal to hunt from the road. Is that but ethical though? But in Quebec, you've got to be, I think it's 50 yards or meters off of the road. Right. Same, same thing here in Alberta. You have to be off the road. Yep. So is it ethical? Well, you know what? The uh, deer or moose doesn't really care that there's a road there. It's part of their backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, the only part is the advantage for us is a road gives us easy access to their habitat. Right. And a lot of people will say, well, if you're driving around in a vehicle, you have an unfair advantage. Over the animal. Well, I'm sorry. I'm human. I already have an unfair advantage got, over the yeah, animal. Yeah, got the brain. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I'm shooting a rifle that, uh, that can smoke that deer at 400 yards. Yeah. No problem. It doesn't I, I, matter. I, I, like, what, What's the big deal if I add an internal combustion engine? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about ethics, um, there's pretty much nothing you can do in hunting that would be 
uh, unethical compared to some of the way some animals are treated in feedlots in big factory farms. Well, yes, there's that. So, um, I would have to say personally, the only thing that I find unethical, or the only thing that I would find unethical about hunting is breaking a hunting law. If I'm not breaking any hunting laws, and as long as I'm not tormenting an animal, I don't have any problem with with almost anything. Mm. Um, it's got to be legal, and it can't be. You can't be tormenting an animal. I mean, you don't shoot an animal, wing it, and then tease it before you kill it. You know, that's just that's unethical to to yeah. intentionally wound an animal and then mess around with it before it finally dies. I think that it's our job as hunters to quickly and cleanly kill the animal as quickly and as painlessly as possible and to follow all hunting laws. And if you're doing those two things, I think it would be really hard to get get into the unethical territory. I agree. The only thing that I find unethical is when um hunters injure animals uh, because of inappropriate caliber, lack of training, lack of knowledge of their firearm. They can't shoot, don't know how their firearm shoots. They take a gun hunting that they haven't shot in Being unprepared. Years. Yeah, being unprepared. And then and that causing suffering. Yeah. That's that still, una- I think that's unethical. Totally if, unethical. If, if you unintentionally cause suffering to an animal because everybody's had that shot where yeah, but I'm talking through negligence exactly I'm talking through not I'm talking through non-negligence through, through regular you know you've done all your homework you've you've done everything you possibly could and you still winged the animal well bad luck happens that whatever but like you said Trevor if it was through negligence I don't care what happens I think that 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 is completely unethical and that that person needs a severe brushing up before they attempt hunting again so does does the size of the game matter when it, when you talk about that? Because for a lot of people, they'll they'll say one thing when they're talking about big game hunting, but then when it comes to uh, gophers or groundhogs, they've got somewhat of a like a different set of rules, and it's it's, it's a different thing, right? You're not hunting for meat, and and you you don't have a a license to hunt for that particular deer. Instead, you're eradicating, uh, you know, a really uh, really infested uh, field or something like that. So. Like you were mentioning, well, you wouldn't want to take a shot that's like uh, uh, maybe not quite so sure, but you but you probably would on a gopher, wouldn't you? Or would you? I know myself, I try not to shoot at anything I know I'm not going to kill. Did that sentence make sense? It does. It, <laughs> okay, it, good. It sense. And, um, and, Adriel, you've got an excellent point because, I mean, I've taken shots at gophers that um, they were long, risky shots, and I got them. Yeah. But I, yeah. Uh, yeah you Could know. have just as easily missed. And is it is it any different to wing a gopher and let it scurry back down its hole than it is to wing a bear and have it run off into the woods? Well, to, I tell you why it is to me, because I only get one bear tag. And if I don't recover my bear, I, I feel like, well, that was it, right? Legally, I can go after another one. But it's like you had your chance and you blew it. Uh, you don't want to, you know, that's wasted meat. That's food that somebody could be eating that you wasted. Yep. If I injure a gopher and it goes down a hole and dies a slow, painful death, it's suffering and that's wrong because a gopher is suffering. Suffering is suffering. You don't want to make any animal suffer. But I don't worry about a gopher suffering like I would a beautiful white-tailed deer or a bear or even a rabbit or a partridge. There's uh, it's definitely, the beauty pageant lineup again. Yeah, there's a hierarchy. There's yes. a hierarchy of how we treat animals, right? Even in a, in a feedlot, a chicken is not treated with the same respect that uh, Angus beef is. Yep, that's true. You know? And whether uh, or not that's right, 
you know, up for debate, but it is yeah. true that people do true. treat lower, quote-unquote, lower life forms a little uh, worse than they, you know, pulling flies, off, pulling yeah. wings off flies and, you know, that sort of thing. You know, they don't think as much about that. But personally, I still think that that, that it would be incorrect behavior. Well, yeah. you, could even, you could go down the, the line of um, the hierarchy of animals and what about, like, rat eradication? Let's say you're in a a barn eradicating like a really bad, like take cute cuddly gophers out of that equation. Let's talk about cute cuddly gophers. (laughs) (laughs) Let's Let's take them out and go straight to the ugly ones. The rats disease ridden, uh, in in a, in a barn and you've got a pellet gun because you, you want to keep it quiet. And you know what? I think a lot of those, a lot of people who use pellet guns on, on rats take long shots and, uh, and, they're they're lower on the totem pole. They don't get the same amount of ethical treatment. I mean, that's true. That's, and but at the at the same time, though, I can sort of understand that because in that situation, there's a need to eradicate that, and you may not have the ability to use the proper firearm because you're in a barn. You don't want to spook the horses or spook the cows or the goats or the rabbits, or whatever it is you have in your barn. So, but you still have to kill those rats and. Say you're against poison, or the poison's going to get into the into the an- other animals there, so you can't use poison. Rat uh, traps are, you know, sometimes effective, but sometimes not. But if you see a rat in the center of your barn and you got your pellet gun, well, of course you're going to take a shot at it, even if it's a longer shot, even if you don't actually kill it, because it does need to be killed. You do need to eventually get it, and so why not try before it causes any more damage? That I can sort of get. Yeah, exactly. And I mean. Um, maybe a little up a little bit on the totem pole from rats. I mean, um, lawyers, hogs. hogs. <laughs> no, I said up, not down. Oh, up. Oh, my bad. <laughs> but uh, you, you can look at um, to the lawyer you know, who wrote the show a couple of weeks back. Yeah. We didn't mean you. No, not you. You're excluded from this. You are a cool lawyer. But one opposed. of the one of the good ones. Yeah, one of the good yeah. ones. Well, the yeah. good one. <laughs> but it, uh, hogs, right? Feral hogs are, uh-huh. are something that people eradicate as well, and that's. Uh, you know, that's again a, a, a different set of moral code that people apply to hunting those. And um, you know, with with hogs in Australia, you can ride around on a on a dirt bike and blast them with an SKS as long as they're <laughs> dead. Like that's the job is eradication, right? That's right. But yep. you can't step on a cane toad. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, that's true. Well, well those are oh, those are like endangered, whereas feral hogs are not. What? Are they not? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. No, Leave cane me alone. Toads, cane toads is the most invasive species ever introduced on Australian soil. But you can't step on them? Nope. You allowed to shoot them with a shotgun in the face? One would hope if you're allowed to have a shotgun over there these days. Yeah, that's true. So, Good point. Yeah, and uh, yeah, kangaroos, certain species of kangaroos in certain regions, shoot and let lie. Yep. You can't even eat them. No. Nope. But that's, that's a political thing, as I yeah. understand it. But so. is it ethical? Is it ethical to not turn it into dog food? You know, you're allowed to shoot as many as you want if you leave them lay there. But right. if you try and harvest them for the meat, oh, well, we can't do that. Well, that that just brings us back to legal. Is it legal? And if that's the way the law is written, then, then that's what you do. Even if, you know, some people may look, because kangaroo meat is good, as I understand it. I've never had it myself. Uh, I'd jump at the chance, though, to have some. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's supposed to be really low impact, right? They're they're ruminants, so they're not uh, they don't emit methane like cows do. So I've I've heard of some people calling kangaroo meat more green than uh, than beef. Hmm, interesting. I've never considered the environmental impact on it. But the uh, the the point I was trying to make though was 
So, yeah, if you don't feel it's right to shoot those kangaroos and let them lie, you have a choice. You don't have to go get that permit That's and go right. shoot the kangaroos and let them lie. But on the other hand, as as we've heard from our Australian friend Steve Lee, there are way too many kangaroos in Australia. And so it's important to shoot them. The same reason for, for the, the reason that we shoot coyotes and crows and groundhogs here is because there are too many of them. They are a pest. They need to be culled. And so if you want to do your part and help out with the conservation of your land, even if you may think it's wrong to shoot them and waste them, you're maybe you're wasting that 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 one uh, kangaroo, but you're not losing the land to them, and so you're saving something somewhere else. And so it's a it's a balance, it's a trade off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a this, that, this is a deep topic. We've never <laughs> had one this deep before. This is weird. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I mean, and we haven't even like. Like I, th- I think we're we're all on the same page in terms of uh, in terms of wh- why we hunt. We hunt for the experience and, and tradition and meat, and and that's all fine. But you know, there's there's entire groups of hunters out there that um, I've met some of them that um, are are completely different. There's there's some guys that go hunting for the spirituality of it, and they they shoot a deer and they they cry about it. And I like I can't understand that all that well, but I can see it, and I can see that. Um, that's how someone else approaches hunting. Uh, I think those people have watched Disney movies too many times. And I don't mean that as a joke. I mean that I, I think there really is a problem with some people. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong. Yeah, I don't think problem okay. is a strong word. I mean, I'm, it's how they react. It's how they react. Sure, it's how they re- Right, but there is a certain way to to be raised as a child or as an individual where you can be... Um, led to believe that animals are equal to human and that animals have feelings and that animals are people and that they have little names like Thumper and Bambi and they run around and have little stories and little lives. I'm sorry, that, that, that that's not the case. Animals live to eat and to reproduce. They don't have any other thoughts in their brains other than where's my next meal and that dough can I, looks can I hump hot. That? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So well, you're not interrupting an animal's life when you shoot it. Like... Yes, some animals exhibit behavior where they're, you know, crows will like mourn the loss. Well, these sorts of things are ingrained in them. And they, I don't believe animals have emotions, at least not the same way we do. But yeah, to, to I, cry I, over a deer, I, I, I'm with Adriel on this. I don't really get it. Well, I, let me t- I, first of all, let me be crystal clear. And there were no tears. Right. However, the first black bear that I shot, right, it did a death moan. And right. when I shoot something, I want it dead. I want to, when I walk up to it, I want to already find it packaged and ready to go in the freezer. Right? <laughs> I do not want that thing to suffer whatsoever. Right. Exactly. I want to just be like, hit the God switch and you're, and you're dead and you didn't suffer. That's I know right. that's not the reality. You have to accept the fact that. But you do your best to get that result. You do your best to yes, get it sure. there as quickly as possible, right? I got that's, you. That's part yep. of being an ethical hunter. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I smoked this bear. I shot it with a 65-pound compound bow, uh, so 65 pounds. That's a lot of kinetic energy driving a really heavy arrow with a fixed-blade 125-grain broadhead. It went in one side. It went in broad. It was quartering away from me, so it went into the ribcage, crossed the ribcage, clipped the heart, came out the armpit, into the shoulder, and straight through the shoulder joint and kept going. Huh. I mean, I smoked this thing. This bear did a loop and kind of backtracked or back around towards us and piled up 15 yards from the tree stand and started to moan. 
and I'm looking at my at my guide, the guy he this is the guy who taught me um my bow hunter safety course and he's a, a friend at the time I shot archery with and I'm like, what the and he's like, Oh that's the death moan. That I mean you got that thing. If he's making that sound, boom, it's you have it. And I'm like, holy smokes, but this 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 curdling moaning sound that this animal was making just like I said, there were no tears, but it affected me. I mean, I it was a mixed emotion. I knew I had bagged a bear. I knew it was a good kill. I knew it was as good as dead. I got meat in the freezer. But man, does it really have to make that sound? Because that sound is a little uncomfortable for me. Well, right? two two yeah. things. Two 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 things I want to talk about. The first one is that is getting to know your food. That is being involved with with nature and with killing something so that you can eat it and that will make you appreciate it that much more and that will make you hopefully make you realize that animals are not just to be trifled with yeah right and the second yeah the second thing is i'm trying to remember it because i lost it there just a second ago while i was talking about <laughs> the first one um but if i ramble on long enough maybe it'll come back to me but it probably well, I can won't tell you about the second bear and if it comes back jump in all right the second bear a year later um, hit the bear, and this bear differently. It went a little bit further, and the sound coming out of this thing, I, I thought it was going to come back and eat me. <laughs> I mean, this was this wasn't upsetting. This was frightening. Right? Like holy god! And the bear was smaller than the first bear, but it was so much louder. And it, it the the death moan was almost a growl. Death moan. Yeah. But that time, Matthew, it was like. As soon as I heard it, it was like, oh, I got your ass. Yep. You're done. Yep. And, and, and I so- think it, it sort of came back to me. What I wanted to say is that as humans, we're, we're designed to respond to, to noises like that. And so when an animal makes it, we're going to feel an emotional attachment to it, perhaps, and we're going to feel badly for it. However, we need to realize that this is just a physiological reaction that the animal is having. It has nothing to do with them being in pain and, and, you know, uh, emotionally traumatized and whatnot, you know. You can't tell me he wasn't in physical pain. He just had an arrow pass through him. Well, Uh, he's in shock. He probably didn't feel anything. Well, it is a lot better than a bullet as far as the 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 uh, perceived impact it's a very sharp ooh, what was that and then they yeah, bleed yeah. Out, but yeah like sure, a bee bite or something like that but yeah i mean like you talk about um people reacting to the physical you know uh, symptoms of, of an animal dying and if you really whack a deer and then some deer do it some don't they'll flop over on their back and start kicking at the air and some some people see that and they think oh man that deer is in pain and you're like uh uh-uh, uh you spine shot that deer or something it doesn't and feel a thing it's yeah. toast there's nothing there right and that's, first uh, one I first one I hit did that Adriel I hit it with a 300 wood mag and it was a 150 pound doe and her feet came out from underneath her she landed on her back and that's all I saw was hoofs dancing in the air. And then the crazy thing got up and ran 15 yards before. <laughs> it's so weird because, yeah, you can you can hit them with 300 wind mag and they, they, get, they run for 50 yards. Or you can hit them with a 30-30 and they, they fall down dead. So it's, yeah. it's different with every animal. But it's just, it's just one of those things you learn as you, as you hunt animals and, and, and you see it a, a couple of times. I mean, I, I spent some time on, on farms as a kid. So I, I saw animals getting butchered and, and some of the different reactions there with pigs or cows or that kind of thing. So when I, when I did it myself with the deer, there was, there wasn't really anything that was new there, but, uh, 
uh, maybe that's part of why some of the people you know react some of the ways that they do when they're when they're doing it as new because there are a lot of new hunters coming into the sport and I think it's it's important and um, a lot of a lot of people are like really interested in the idea of organic grass fed local known source meat and and hunting is one of the ways you can get at that so we've got a lot of these guys uh and 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 ladies out there going hunting who haven't done it before don't have family to support them uh on on doing it and they're doing it just purely as that uh for the meat kind of a thing right yeah well i mean people are going to come across these scenarios where the animals are suffering for the you know a couple of minutes before they die or hopefully just a couple of seconds but Mm -hmm. that's the reality of killing something that's the reality of harvesting your own food and even if you don't harvest your own food that's the reality of eating meat Period. Things die so that we can eat. That's the way it works. And so I think it's important for people to be into hunting, at least a little bit, even if it's just to understand what is going on. I think there are too many people who are naive that think meat is grown in the back of a grocery store. Mm, Yeah. That meat still comes from an animal. And I don't really care about what they think, but the the fact is an animal harvested in the wild had a much better life than any animal bred in captivity and yep. left in a feedlot for mm-hmm. its entire life. You got it. And, yeah, you know, vegetarians judging me because I go harvest my own meat, you know, I just, God, dude, they, they know because we tell them. So they're not ignorant anymore. So now they're choosing to continue to be vegetarians knowing that their diet contributes to the death of millions of animals when combines go through a field and start harvesting wheat and crops and corn there's millions of animals that die there are field mice there are snakes there are brown you you really you really can't live without taking the life of something else you really can't it's just not possible yeah, I think I think I'm maybe I'm a little bit lucky here in Edmonton because I've like I've I've talked to some vegetarians about hunting. I've never had anyone really pissed off about the fact that I hunt. So I mean, I don't know, maybe it's an Edmonton thing or an Alberta thing, but uh even Yeah, you guys our, tend to be a little bit more rural out that way. Yeah, even even our our uh, vegetarians are pretty understanding about it. No, that's good. I've only ever had yeah, I think that could be a next uh next point to talk about. Have you ever had somebody like any specific examples of somebody saying to you in a negative way that what you're doing is wrong, that hunting is, is, is bad. Yep. And they're no longer friends with me on Facebook. They also got tired of my, uh, every time ISIS would, uh, chop somebody's head off and I would say, my, you know, what a, what a peaceful religion. And they called me a racist. I'm sorry. I said, they're not a race, they're a religion. So yeah. <laughs> not liking them doesn't make me a racist. You don't Nothing need to, know. to do with the fact that they're Arab. It has everything to do with the fact that they're cutting off people's heads. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to be Arab to be a Muslim. So, yeah, you can't call me a racist because no. I think that uh, fundamental Muslims have a, a violence problem. So, anyway, that was the final straw. They finally unfriended me. But before that, it was like, you're going to eat that crow? You're going to eat that groundhog? <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't really dealt with it out here. I mean, um, uh, online. I mean, I've uh, a couple of years back, I shot a deer at uh, 650 yards, and nice. I was talking about the prep that I needed to do for that um, on. Oh, I think that was on Reddit, and then someone was saying, "That's you're you're a dumbass. You shouldn't uh, you, you shouldn't be making those kinds of shots because that's uh, that's unethical." So. 
yeah, I guess that that's that's the only time that I've been uh, accused. And that of came from one of our own. Mm. Yep. And a lot of time we get more flack from our own than from the antis. When uh, crossbow hunting was coming into New Brunswick, oh my God, the bow hunters were ready to <laughs> rip each other apart. <laughs> yeah. It's like hunting is hunting is hunting. Why? Yeah, it doesn't matter what you use. Go use a spear if you want, if you can be ethical about it. Yeah, why are you getting bent out of shape with what I want to use? I've had had two experiences that I can think of offhand, both of them at the school. Um, One was a, a, well, but they were both co-workers and and the the one individual, basically her face went white and, and looked at me with an open mouth and said, you kill things? And uh, I said, yeah. And then I eat them. <laughs> it's like it's no different than going to the grocery store and getting, you know, getting food there, is it? Like, what's the difference if I kill it or somebody else kills it? And she she yeah. couldn't get it. And then another time, it was another another coworker, and this time it was this, it was the same thing, except she was eating a steak. Oh, give and me she, a break! And I was eating a grouse sandwich. I had shot a grouse and brought it in, yeah. you know, toasted grouse. It was delicious. And she's like, oh, what's that? It smells good. I'm like, oh, it's gross. I, I killed it yesterday and I'm eating it today. <gasps> and like, she's like, oh, it's terrible. And I said, how's your steak? <laughs> and she looked at it and looked back at me and smiled and was, yeah, good point. Okay, never mind. So she was cool with it. She got it right she got away. It right away. Yeah. And she completely, i never, ever an issue again with her. In fact, she asks about my hunting stories. Um, but the other one just completely could not fathom the fact that I would willingly kill something. Like just that far out in left field that, you know, no, it's, it's wrong to kill anything ever. And she didn't even get the whole grocery store analogy with the cows and stuff. She goes, no, no, that's different. No, it's not. But, yeah, you're right. It's different. It's worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go visit the feedlot and then come hunting with me. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, it's funny how you get you know the same the same thing, two different reactions from two different people, and you're going to get that. And you know, if you're going to go hunting, be prepared to deal with the people who don't agree with what you do, but be ready with your answer. Let and not only that, be polite and respectful. And even if they get angry and yell at you, smile, be polite, be respectful. Don't let them get anything on you because you're representing every other hunter out there. Yeah, I think when it comes down to your arguments, I mean, the the legal one because it's legal is is ultimately where where you know we can draw the line. Yep, um, I'm allowed to. It. So there you go. But but like the argument back to someone, there's all sorts of really good arguments that are just beyond that, like drawing that line and saying, well, fuck, like like this is this is something I can do because it's legal. Um, there's a, there's a lot of good reasons that you can say that would be, um, I do it because it's management and there are actually more deer now because I'm hunting deer. And, and that's, um, I think that's a, a, a friendlier argument at least that you can make. Yeah. I try not to use because it's legal unless it's somebody who has, you know, that's my last straw sort of thing. Yeah. I try to, my, my first one is always the, the analogy of the grocery store. That's always my first one. I'm like, you eat meat, I eat meat. The difference is I kill my own animals and you hire somebody to do it for you. And I do that more politely and with a bit more tact than that. But that's basically the bottom line. You hire a contract killer and I I do the killing myself. So what's the difference? Yeah, that management one's worked for me every time. Yeah, management one would be a good one too. Although with my hunting success, I don't manage much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, your, your license is being used, right? Your money's being used. Right, that's true. And and that's another good point is that my hunting license, the, the cost of it goes towards conservation in New Brunswick. 
Yeah, so, how many vegetarians contribute money to wildlife management? Exactly. We do. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Matthew? Are we about to beat yeah, this one down? I think so. I think we got her. Think Unless there's anything unethical. else. I think it would be unethical if we continued. It, it, <laughs> we'd be prolonging the suffering of this topic. <laughs> exactly. Quick, coup de gras. One in the head. All right. Well, Adriel, it was a pleasure having you on again. Um, you're always uh, interesting to talk to. You've always got interesting points, and I look forward to uh, to hearing and reading your 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 post on uh, on this whenever you get around to it. Why don't you tell the listeners where you're from, like your your online presence, and how they can find you, and uh, a little bit of background on uh, on what you've done. Yeah, definitely. So I've got a I've got a blog called uh, HuntingGearGuy.com. That's where you'll find all the articles and. Um, links to YouTube and that kind of thing. So I'm trying to stay active on uh, on the on the blog and uh, and on YouTube as well. And I think that's where most people are uh, are seeing my stuff. Um, primarily, just reviewing rifles and and coming into the hunting season right now. I'm writing more hunting related articles because I'm I'm in the mindset I'm thinking about hunting right now. So. I'm writing more of uh, more of those, but uh, I think that's about it. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to to you guys for letting me on the show and letting me uh, jabber on about uh, hunting. Oh, it was absolutely our pleasure. Definitely, Thank you very much. it's always nice nice to have somebody on who knows what they're talking about because you know us, right? Because uh, us, basically. I yeah, I don't know if you can accuse me of that, but uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me, anyways. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, uh, we will talk to you next time, Adriel. Have a good evening. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks again to Adriel for joining us and talking uh, about hunting ethics with us. It was a fantastic discussion. I really enjoyed having him on. So uh, just wanted to thank him again. And uh, I guess we'll roll into some listener feedback. And uh, this first one comes to us from Philip. And he writes, corrections and my thoughts. Such a strong word, corrections. Yeah. So I'm I, I'm guessing we messed up last week, maybe? I would have preferred maybe? you guys made mistakes. That's friendlier. <laughs> right. You got, yeah. You're, you're wrong. That, yeah, that, well, that that's fine. Me. I've got a, I've got a shout out for Philip later. All right, cool. All right, well, he he writes the XCRL comes in two two three slash five five six with either a one in seven or one in nine barrel. Also available are six point eight SPC, seven six two by thirty nine, and five point four five by thirty nine. 300 Blackout just started to be shipped from Wolverine. I own a 6.8 and a 5.56 in one one in the, uh, one to nine barrel twist. The XCRM comes in 308, 243, and 260. I think Wolverine only sells a 308. There's also a pistol version of the M, and Wolverine is now selling the 10 round pistol mags as well. No way! So that means if you have an AR-10, you can run a 10 round pistol mag. There you go. Sweet. On the XCR forums. Robinson has done experiments with, uh, uh, sorry, it's is it Robinson or Robson? It's Robinson. Robinson yeah. Armament. Robinson uh, has done experiments with other calibers like 6.5 Grendel and 50 Beowulf, but I'm not sure why nothing came out of it. Uh, Robinson Arms has a bad reputation for their internet presence and customer service in the U.S. But since all Canadian warranties are done through Wolverine, it's a pleasure getting anything replaced. I had to warranty my bolt catch as it wasn't hardened properly. I love my XCR, but yes, it's heavy and the accuracy isn't the best. It's a plinking gun, but it's reliable and the manual of arms are great for me. Another non-restricted rifle worth mentioning is the Robinson Arms rifle before the XCR, the M96, otherwise known as the Stoner Rifle. Reports of accuracy and reliability are everywhere. This rifle came before the M16 and was 
uh, favored by the Marines over the M16 in Vietnam, but was dropped due to logistics of the Army doing all of the purchasing for the Marines, and they preferred to only have one rifle to worry about. The Robinson rifle sells for $500 in the, uh, in the States and $3,000 on CGN. <laughs> Typical, CGN. he says. <laughs> also, some interesting kits were made for the Robinson M96, including side and top feed magazine kits. A belt-fed version is out there, too. Hmm. It takes Stanag mags, which is your standard AR-15 magazine, and it is piston-driven. That's interesting to know. He continues on, I've shot the Benelli MR1, and I wasn't a fan. It seems to be a rifle version of the M4 scattergun. Its stock sights and manual of arms leave something to be desired. It's light, and accuracy was okay at the shorter ranges I shot it with. Uh, my friend who owned it later tactic-cooled it out with a fugly quad rail, also additional uh also five additional pounds of junk, and asked me to thread the barrel, which I refused. I have standards as a machinist. I heard fake can, and I vomited in my mouth. <laughs> also, threading a pencil barrel is a bad idea. A note on the Caltech RFB. It takes met, uh, metric FAL mags. I've shot one and was quite impressed accurate too. Its owner has taken a few deer with it and his complaints about it are takedown and cleaning. I've also thought it, uh, shot a Theron Defense, a JR, a Sub-2000, a Chris Vector, a serial Lego machine gun, uh, and wasn't impressed with any. <laughs> I want to get my hands on the serial uh, <laughs> Lego machine gun. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. Um, the only pistol carbine, that's carbine, that has my eye, see what I did there? Because uh, yeah. he, he wrote yeah. eye and carbine, yeah. is the Arrow Survival Rifle. New to Canada and retails for $900. It takes Glock mags and it comes available in three calibers, 9, 40, and 45. It's a takedown and caliber conversions will be available. I looked it up. It looks just like a JR carbine, basically, to me. Um, maybe a little bit more sleek, a little bit more slim. Um, but uh, it, it's it's an AR-looking rifle that takes pistol mags where the magazine would normally go in an AR. So kind of a neat looking. Um, other non-restricted out there are the Swiss Arms, a few flavors of the SIG clones from Fame. And the FNs, the PS90, the FN2000, and a few others that seem no longer for sale. Never shot any, but a 308 SIG clone would be cool. Which comes down to the real issue. In Canada, if you want a semi-auto black rifle, you only have two real choices. An approximate $1,000 uh, down rifle with issues, or a $3,000 rifle. Cheers, Philip Hoffman from BC. It's true. There's nothing in between a thousand and three, really. There really isn't. Yeah. So, hmm. Yeah. Thanks for the email. Thanks for the corrections and and all the other information. Um, we should have had you on for this. Clearly, you know a lot about it. <laughs> mm, clearly. Yeah. Um. All right. This next one comes to us from Sean. Hello, Matthew, Trevor, and Owen. It's been a while since I wrote, so I figured I should update you guys on my gun obsession and talk about a rifle that you missed or perhaps omitted from last week's non-restricted black rifle talk. Please bear with me as I'm plunking this <laughs> I love this how he on. spelled bear, because <laughs> it's the wrong version. <laughs> <laughs> Means nothing to a dyslexic, trust me. Um, please bear with me as I'm plunking this out on my phone, 
and I know how Matthew dislikes grammar slash spelling errors. Well, Trevor doesn't mind them at all because he can't catch them. All your shenanigans with cool restricted firearms have finally inspired me to challenge my RPAL, and so I did that just before Bill C-42 came into effect. I received the magic card about a month ago and went shopping. That's the second time somebody said magic on the show tonight, and that's an infraction. I don't care how you use it. (laughs) Man, you're picky tonight. I'm just kidding. Carry on. He didn't actually come up with a better word for, you know, magical. Like, he didn't say, you know, hunting is a... No, he just left it. He He took the infraction and moved on. Yeah, he did. He didn't didn't even try to fix it. He's like, yep, you're right. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. So Sean says, I received the manly card about there a month go. ago and went shopping. Air rifle still haven't caught my fancy yet. And, and why is that? Because he They're, hasn't tried one yet. That's too bad because it's a magical experience. <laughs> maybe, maybe I have to try one out. But I think I will enjoy handguns. I purchased a Ruger 20, 2245 for cheap planking, and I'm sure you guys will be happy to hear about my other purchases. Well, yes, before we you go on to his other purchase, the 2245 is a great cheap planking 22 pistol. Fantastic. I've had, I've had a couple of them, and uh, I, I love them. They're great. Accurate. They work. Easy to use. Easy to clean. Mm. And uh, great manual of arms. Yes, it's the exact same as a 1911. <laughs> I got a good deal on a very lightly used Glock 17 Gen 4. I'm not sure I will be keeping the Ruger as I find the balance a little off, but um, but the Glock is definitely a keeper. So you see there, ergonomics of the Glock. Way better than a 1911. 1911, yep. <laughs> so Glock for the win. Just from, an, just from an engineering standpoint, it is cool to have around. Eh. Um, I really liked your last episode where you talked about non-restricted black rifles. One you missed was the Beretta CX-4 Storm. Yeah, so we did forget about that one, didn't we? that you wanted to have, you know, like, oh, Trevor, you missed a little house on the parade. No, I didn't. Cause I didn't <laughs> you, know? you only missed what you want. <laughs> Look, I like the Beretta CX-4 Storm. If mm-hmm. they made those in 22 or 22 Magnum, I'd be all over that. That'd be a cool little gun, I think. I like the way they look. I like the ergonomics of them. And I'm just being, I'm just being a putz. I mean, I've, I've never held one. I've never fired one. Um, the mag does go in the pistol grip, does it not? Yes, it does. That is one of, that is one of the key features that I really enjoy about pistol carbines. If it's an actual mag goes in the pistol grip. That's why I had the, uh, that, that buckmark for, for a while. Um, you know, it was, that, it was the way it was supposed to be. Pistol carbine goes in the pistol grip, but. Anyway, whatever. The very first time I laid eyes on a just right carbine, I didn't like the way that the pistol mag went in the front where uh, generally your magazine on an Air 15 would go. Yeah, it doesn't look right, does it? It doesn't look right. But then when you handle it and shoot it, it works. It feels a lot like an Air. Yeah. Um, And in in particular, when you switch the charging handle to the left side where I feel it should be. Yep. uh, Yeah, I think it's a pretty cool little setup. Yep. So, and the Beretta, the Beretta does have sexy lines, though. I, yeah, I agree. Well, my favorite, my favorite, one of the places I fell in love with it was watching, of course, Battlestar Galactica. Right, of course. Because that's where they used it <laughs> quite a bit. He goes on to say that Beretta ships them now with non-restricted barrels. Uh, I had one for a while, and it is a beautiful, very functional rifle. Very handy and accurate as well. I highly recommend it if for anyone looking for a pistol caliber carbine. I know some people think that think it looks funky, but... You just have to hold hold and fire it to appreciate what a good rifle it is. the The only downside is the trigger is fairly heavy. Uh, is a fairly tr- 
that did go. So, <laughs> so the trigger sucks, is what he's trying to say. Well, here's here's the good news about that. Because it's a, a CX4 Storm, I bet you it has the same trigger as the PX4 Storm, when there's probably upgrades for that trigger, which means you could probably work on it. Probably. I, I just made all of that up, but it, you probably could. It would stand to reason, I would think. I'm just slowly backing away. I'm like, oh, he's writing a check. <laughs> oh, he's going way out there. So... He says, anyway, keep up the good work, guys. I love every I love every episode to date. Two thumbs up. Yes. Ooh, that's seven. Wait, is that seven or is it five? I I, I think it's five. So Wait. he's from uh, it's Sean from Saskatchewan. Easy to draw, hard to spell. That's it. I love it. That's my and, joke, uh, by the way. Yeah, well, I didn't know that you coined that. No, I did. I I invented joke. it basically. Okay. If you would or, like, to or I saw it on like comics or something. One or the other. If you would like to email any corrections to Matthew, you can do so at slamfireradio at gmail.com. iTunes review. Now, there was some... Some controversy here. Some controversy. There's a couple of ladies. Well, one lady started... In particular. Yapping. Yeah. And then when she was second-guessing herself, oh, then she tried to pull another lady in, and she's like, well, me and so-and-so don't remember hearing them and how many episodes, and when did you say, well, we'll ha- her and I will have to go back and listen. And I'm like... Uh, well, you so can anyway. if you like, but yeah. I but here, you. here's the thing. I'm pretty sure we've read them all. We and, have, and uh, and Ooh. there's no new ones. No. So the latest American one was from March, and the most recent Canadian ones were from July, and and they were read. So yeah. So anyway, we but, do love our iTunes reviews, and we do love the ladies who uh, who like to criticize us, regardless. Yeah. But um, yes. Apparently, you, according to Don, the unbiased ladies, because he sent me an email, and he's like, I need the number. So I sent him the number so he could, uh, so he could, yeah. Well, how did that email go? He said, uh, I, since I lost the unbiased contest, I need the telephone number so I can register for, uh, <laughs> for Carbine Vitals too. And right. I just replied, please, please remember that we had three judges choose so that we could remain unbiased. But I don't <laughs> think he's buying it. I think he thinks the judges were bought or something. I don't know. They may have been. They weren't, but they may have been. Yeah. Not Who by knows? me. So, so anyway, whatever. We pay them in Bolivar bucks. We pay them in Bolivar bucks. That's the best way to pay for things. <laughs> Apparently, a Bolivar buck was accepted. Yes. Who was that again? I forget, but somebody bought a cigar. Some, yeah, somebody bought a cigar with a Bolivar buck. Yep. So yeah. that was very so, there cool. There you go. Um, Bolivar bucks are now Wilson, legal tender. Tracy Wilson left one as a tip at the 1026 here in town, which I got to tell you was more than they deserved. It was awful that night. Cold food, <laughs> poor service. Anyway. So iTunes reviews, we yeah. are on the front page of uh, what's what's hot right that's now. That's cool. So that's cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, leave us an iTunes review. It ple- it uh, helps get the show noticed. Yep. And um, shout outs, do you have any? I don't. You didn't go. put it in. No, you didn't I put did. it in, but that doesn't mean you don't have any apparently. Apparently. Apparently, p- apparently it's your show now too, so carry on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we just forget who's lead host. It doesn't really matter, Trevor. I don't care. Carry on. Know. You're doing a great job. Do you have any shout-outs? I do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing. Uh, Philip. Thanks, Philip, for helping me sell stuff. That's it? What else do you want me to say? Uh, Philip, uh, help me sell stuff. All right, cool. Thank you, Philip, for helping Trevor sell stuff. <laughs> uh, huh. He um, he hooked a, hooked a sale up for some uh, some a, a mold, a bullet um, mold. Wow. From some of that stuff that I got that in. That was smooth. Yeah, smooth as no. I'm out. I'm done. It's the end of the show. What do you want from me? <laughs> Nothing more. Do the sign off. All right. 
All right, so check out the Crusader Podcast Network at crusaderpodcast.com. There's lots of really cool other podcasts on there that you can listen to. Join any or all of our national firearms associations because it is important to support them because they help to support us. Check us out on Gun Owners of Canada. We have a forum there. Also, I got a rant. Oh, you have a rant. Can I, have a can rant. I finish and then you rant? But it's it's pertinent to the it's GOC. It's about thing. GOC, yes. But it's not about GOC. It's about CGN. Oh, it's about CGN. So Matthew and I have had uh, the same signatures on our CGN accounts for since we started the show. Years since we started the show, we're yeah. at episode 121, which is like oh, more than two years. Right. So since we've been doing Slamfire Radio, our signatures on Gun Owners of Canada were CGN. Uh, you mean? Uh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Very important to keep the two separate. Our signatures on CGN were the um, the, the address yep. to our website, www.slamfireradio.com. And years went by, not a problem. All of a sudden, they deleted mine, and then they deleted his and yep. said that, you know, you're not allowed to link to a third-party website. Uh, okay, rules are rules, but Slamfire Radio is not a business. It's a not-for-profit podcast that raises money for charity. Why? You'll, I understand why CGN would not want us to link to that. Heaven forbid they help us help the community, right? Now, I'm telling you, man, if you're not paying Enoch money, it's all business over there. It's not about the firearms community. It's about the bottom line. This rant brought to you by Trevor Furlot. Yeah. So go to see, go to GOC, who support us wholeheartedly and actually uh, gave us our own form over there. All of the Canadian podcasts have their own home over there. Yep. And they're more than happy to more than happy to help us. Absolutely. Help the they let us link whatever we like, whatever we need to, and and whatnot. So they they are cool. We really like GOC for sure. Mm-hmm. So, so okay. So 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 you're done now. Uh, yeah. No, it's okay if you want to continue on. Uh, I mean, you're digging your own grave. No, no, my grave. I don't. Hey, <laughs> there was life before um, got CGN. CGN, and there'll be life afterwards. Yeah. You know. No big deal. Okay, cool. So the last point here is please go like us on Facebook. We are currently at 1,262 likes, and we are now up to seven thumbs up. That's seven. That's more thumbs than I have. Yep. yep. Sure. That, that, I, that, that's it. Yep. yep. There's not even, even if you count a potato, you're not going to get up seven thumbs. Nope. Just, uh, just the two, really. Huh. All right. Well, um, that's the show for this week. And uh, just once again, thank you to all you listeners for downloading, listening, and subscribing. We really enjoy it. We wouldn't do this without you. And uh, I hope to see you all next week. That's uh, You're going to be busy. Why? How are you going to see all the listeners next week? Well, not literally. Like, it's like a thing. It's a thing? Seeing it's the a listeners. saying. It's a, oh. uh, see you next week. But we're... I mean, that would make sense if we were on TV. No, Maybe because they would be seeing would be me, so us. I still don't see yeah. them regardless. You're right. So why are you saying it? it makes no sense. Uh, here you know. See, I look forward to speaking with you next week. No. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over. Time to get a gun. Hate you is what you want to say next. <laughs>